So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Built-in microwave semicolon. Paper sizes? Yeah. Uh, ISO 216. Here we go. Um, ISO 216, paper sizes. Yeah. That's my jingle for our <laughs> for this our episode, episode today. <laughs> Can you believe like the grown adult men used to get paid lots of money to do that? Like, yeah. Just, just yes. make up a little song about it and, yep. and you're a genius. Yes. <laughs> God. Okay, um, tell me about this paper. I'm really intrigued about this. I'm okay, uh, before we get there, a uh, little front matter. Um, welcome to our podcast. I'm Ned. This is Meg. Hey, whenever you say front matter, I think of brain matter as in yes. like there was discarded brain matter on the ground at the accident <laughs> site. Not so different from this particular instance. <laughs> <laughs> definitely some discarded brain matter laying around somewhere. <laughs> yeah, in both of our cases. Pick it up. Pick it up. Still using that. <laughs> Put it back in. <laughs> Put it back in quick. Ten second rule. Uh, yeah, the brain matter is still good. Right. Um, <laughs> just dust it off. It's fine. Wash it with a little soap and water. Um, that's what the blood brain barrier is for. That's what the blood brain barrier is for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, handles all of that. Handles all of that. Yeah. Um, right. Keeps the dirt out from your blood when you put it back in. It's fine. Right. Protects the blood from the brain. <laughs> Oh man. Um, uh, okay. So yeah, sorry. So I'll anyway, now. no, no, all good. Uh, so if this is your first podcast or your hundredth or whatever, I think we're we're almost about to hit two hundred pretty soon here. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the usual stick. Uh, you can email us if you have thoughts or opinions about this episode, um, or thoughts of opinions about anything. Really, um, you can email Dana. Our she's our CEO and founder. Um, she used to be, we, she got promoted from, she rose in the ranks from executive <laughs> assistant all the way to CEO. Um, Proof that the American dream is real. That's right. Yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, you can email her and her email address is Dana, D-A-N-A at fcbm.io. And fcbm.io is coincidentally also our website where you mm-hmm. can go and find all of these episodes and listen to them for free without any advertising and very little tracking. I think we have kind of that like standard did you show up and click a button like statistic stuff the stuff but, we can't get around because it's like a core function of participating in the internet on some level <laughs> yeah so um but if you have opinions about that you send us an email I, that's right yeah like i i'm all ears about reconfiguring our server to be more friendly um anyway uh yeah but we host it all and do all the things so um paper size uh if you are if you grew up in the U.S. of the states of America, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the United States of the states of America, the USSA. <laughs> if you anyway, if you grew up in um, the Americas, in the North American continent, um, including Canada, then you're probably familiar with um, a paper size called North the North American paper sizes. Um, yes, and so uh, there's sort of. Those are kind of like we think of like letter size as eight and a half by eleven. I think mm-hmm. um, is kind of your standard printer paper, etc. <clears throat> but I'm here to tell you there's actually a better way. 
So <laughs> Europeans and people who are familiar with like sort of metric uh, influence will be much more familiar with ISO 216, although maybe they've never heard of it called that way. Um, but that is the international standard for paper sizes. And it is um, used around the world, except for North America and parts of Latin America. Oh, um, what parts of Latin America? Or is that your... I don't... Do I'm just kind offhand? of... I don't know offhand. It just says mm. um, on Wikipedia. I'm cribbing from Wikipedia. Um, I mean, my guess would be like some of the Latin American countries, right? Um, yeah. Like maybe, um, maybe Mexico because they're so close to the US, but who fucking knows? I mean, I would mm -hmm. think that's the case because I cannot fucking find metric paper sizes in San Diego. And if, oh, it, really? if our neighbor was using them like as a standard just to the south of us, I imagine mm -hmm. it'd be much easier for me to get a hold of it. Yes. Well, I mean, oh, pardon me, God. It would probably be inevitable that you would see it because it would just, that stuff would get just physically carried back and forth across the border by people using it on either sides of the fence. Yeah. And then you'd end up seeing it. Right. You'd probably just encounter it being out exactly. about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I did find, uh, so on the Wikipedia article for ISO 216, um, as of March 7th, 2023, uh, yeah. I did find a sentence actually here. Someone has said that, um, so although, uh, Although they have officially adopted the ISO 216 paper format, Mexico, Panama, Peru, Colombia, the Philippines, and Chile also use mostly U.S. paper sizes. Mm. So, um, which makes sense if like your major trading partner is like the U.S. and you're kind of like right on the border of it. I mean, I'm yeah. not saying I know that that's the case, but I'm imagining mm -hmm. if if your major trading partner was the U.S. and you were like right next door to them and that whole country was like, fuck you, this is the standard we use, then you're gonna probably gonna keep limping along in the in the mm -hmm. old standard. Or I don't know if it's an older standard, it's just a dumber standard. Um, anyway, uh, but let me qualify that statement about why I think North American uh, paper uh, paper sizes are inferior to, <laughs> yes. uh, to the ISO 216. So the important thing to understand is that um, the ISO 216, the paper sizes are based around the aspect ratio of a square root of two to one. So that means that um, if one length in a rectangle, if one side is a unit of one, like one foot long, yeah. then the other side is the square root of two long, which means that it's longer than one foot, but less than two, right? Like we don't need oh. to know the exact, I, like the actual... Um, value of the square root of two is, um, let's see, what is that? It's, uh, I, it's, I don't remember. It, it works out, um, but like shorthand is like 1.4142. Um, mm. It's a non-repeating, I think, um, or eventually it's repeating maybe, but um, anyway, it's, it's, a, it's not quite one and a half, right? Yeah. And, but the value of this means that if you cut a sheet of paper and an like a, a metric piece of paper in half mm -hmm. that has this mm -hmm. aspect ratio, if you cut it in half um, bisecting the long length, then the two halves have exactly the same ratio, which means ah. that you can um, cut it in half and have two of the same aspect ratio sizes that are half the size. Or mm -hmm. if you have two larger sheet, if you have two sheets of the same size, you can basically put them together and create a larger version of the same aspect ratio. I see. Um, and the advantage of that is 
pretty great because you can basically start with large sheets of paper and then derive and cut down with very little waste all of the other smaller sizes. Um, and so the uh, the ISO 216 paper sizes are um, based around, like the A series is the most common, which is basically A0 to A10. Um, sizes much larger or smaller than that are kind of um, just like unwieldy. So uh -huh. um, basically an A2 size document is, um, let me see if I can convert this to, well, an A2 size document is 420 millimeters on the short side mm -hmm. and um, 594 millimeters on the long side. So it's Ooh. half a meter um it's a half a meter long and a little or a little over half a meter long and a little under half a meter wide. And so you can cut that in half and get two A3s. You can cut that in half again and get two A4s. So you can get four A4 sheets. So A4 sheets are are as close as we get, about as close as a letter size. They're a okay. little bit longer than our normal letter sheets mm -hmm. like we were talking about the eight and a half by 11. Um, mm -hmm. They're just a little bit longer than eight and a half by 11, which is kind of like le legal document size. Okay. You yeah. know, like if you have like a legal notepad, it's like a yes. little bit longer than a, than a letter size. Yeah. So, um, although legal is actually a little bit longer than an A4 um, by, I think by about like, I don't know, like half an inch or something. Okay. Anyway, um, it's, it's super awesome because you can you can fold paper and you can create smaller versions that have exactly the same aspect ratio. Um, there's all of these um, other, so the main advantage obviously is scaling is what I'm talking about. Like yes. the idea of being able to scale up and down and maintain the same aspect ratio so that if you <laughs> want to print a dot, like if you want to create a sign um, that might be like posted in, you know, in the lobby of a hotel and you print it on A4, but then later you want to scale that up to something much larger, you don't have to change anything. You can just scale it up to a new size and the dimensions, the aspect ratio will match and everything will come out as you expect. Um, okay. Barring resolution issues. Mm -hmm. um, as well as if you want to condense that down and make it like half that size. So you want to like print these documents like in a book now and you want to do page sizes, but you know, and so you can, you can easily manage all of this. Scaling is probably the, the largest part. Mm -hmm. um, uh, let's see. So um, it also simplifies calculating the weight of paper. Um, oh, nice. So in the U.S., we typically we weigh paper by the weight of a ream. Typically, okay. I think. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, like 200 pound, and then there's like, like in watercolor, we were talking about, there's like hot press, cold press papers, but the, the weight yes. of the paper doesn't necessarily have to do with the finish on the surface of the texture of the paper. But um, a heavier paper weighs more, and it weighs more because the ream weighs more, apparently. Right, and so, but a ream is not necessarily, um, uh, so, um, Standard office copy paper weighs approximately 10 pounds per 1,000 sheet, sheets, okay. right? Um, yeah. But, uh, which is 20 pound bond paper. Um, and you can already see like, 
you can already see like there it's it's confusing right whereas the weight of um the weight of metric paper is measured in grams per square meter okay and so you can like because of the scaling aspect if you have um so if you have uh like an A1 sheet, if you have two A1 sheets, you're probably pretty close to, so an A1 sheet is 594 millimeters by um, 841 millimeters. So okay. if you have um, two of those, you're probably uh, close to a square meter. And mm -hmm. so you know that should weigh, like, you know, if you have the, if it's, you know, 50 grams per square meter, then you would know that costs about, you weigh about 50 grams. And yeah. so you can calculate, like, based on the number of sheets you have and the size of sheets you have, you can really quickly and easily calculate how much that's going to weigh. And this has obvious, like, implications and usage in, like, printing operations and anytime you're, yeah. like, handling, like, large amounts Logistics. of paper. Logistics, exactly. Um, so... That is the main thing about that. The um, the U.S. paper size, I can't find any like real argument for why. Um, admittedly, I didn't work very hard to find that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the um, the sort of North American. Um, I think Damon gave me his cough. Maybe he oh, is no. contagious. Maybe he is contagious. We're all gonna die. This is like the, the COVID twenty. <laughs> Did you hear that? Like the dumb thing that woman said on TV <gasps> about how she was like talking about. Um, she's one of those politicians. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what her gender is. Like that's I, that sounds stupid for me to say that woman. That Marjorie woman. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene said on TV <laughs> about I there's how a lot of people who call that specific person that woman. <laughs> yeah, she, she said. <laughs> she said. Um, what did she say? Oh, she was like, basically, she was like, you know, there it's it's COVID nineteen. You would have thought they'd figure something out by now. Like, there's, like, <laughs> I forget, but but her implication was like, there's been eighteen other versions of it. Like, why can't we figure something out right now? And and somebody had to be like, no, it's COVID nineteen because that's the year that it was discovered. Oh my god! Not that there are more anyway. Um, it just was like COVID twelve. The, the amount of, of like those. yeah, the amount of misunderstanding was just like uh, ignorance, Staggering. really. Which is which I, the thing about ignorance is like there's no shame in ignorance. Like that's a fixable problem. The problem is when you're like pride yourself on your ignorance. It's like oh right. god, like this is get away from me. Right. Don't make any policy decisions about anything if you can't be bothered to figure that out. Yeah, totally. That's the crux of it right there. Right. Um, okay. So, uh, so it's super helpful to use them. So <clears throat> the weight ratios and the estimation of the, um, the like tonnage or the carrying, um, weight, like the transit weight of paper, if you're going with us tile papers is much easier or much harder to calculate right. than the, um, metric because the metric is the metric is a linear function then too as well is what that means right uh it's a uh, the scaling is um you mean from the scaling point of view yeah yes yeah so like it's it, it's like it, you're not going in some weird every size is ever... twice as big as the last one the, or yes, half the size yes. of the one before yeah or the yeah. the one ahead of it yeah yeah right 
It's not like all of a sudden when you pass a particular threshold, the weight increases dramatically or something like that. Um, anyway, that is very, very handy. And I'm kind of obsessed with logistics. And so that's yeah a, a point of interest to me. Like, oh, yeah. well, this would be very easy to like account for and plan for in it, terms of... And it's one of the things that I find like really frustrating about stationery in the U.S. Because mm. we also end up kind of locked out of all of the other world stationery that's amazing, right? So like yeah. you and I love the Hobonichi we talk about. It. I think we've talked about it every fucking podcast for the last like three or four, um, which <laughs> why not? Yeah, we should just change it to F FCBM or FCBM colon Hobonichi colon whatever the fuck is. So yeah. Call it. Like, anyway. um, yeah. We are devotees. Yeah. Do you know that there's under a million people on the face of the planet who use this the Hobonichis. I did not know that. I mean, that it's like seven or 800,000 people who are in the cult. And I totally, at the same time, understand how it's only a few people because it's such a subjective experience. Uh, like what type of planner you end up with. Did you, I, I don't want to derail you too much, but did no, you no. go to the last cult meeting? Cause I was really, I did not agree that they should have cut that guy's hand off. <laughs> well, I might be on the opposite side of the fence. That's on okay. This one. We can talk about it later. Anyway, right. sorry. Anyway, you're yeah. Saying. So they, uh, the cult of Hobonichi is yes. um, is ever growing. But I'm kind of like, I, I almost want to become an evangelist because I'm right. like, you're using the wrong planner, and I'm here to tell you why. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> Let me introduce you the right planner to use, the correct planner, the appropriate planner, mm -hmm. the superlative planner. I. I have to say, like, my world changed a little bit when I met you. I mean, when I met you, for sure, full stop. But <laughs> Both of ours did. We were, like, well, yes. we were basically in, like, a head-on car collision yes. that neither of us caused. And then we're like, hey, we should be friends We were both, like, passengers and these, like, idiot drivers. <laughs> and we're like, hey, let's go get our own car and not right. crash anymore. <laughs> it's going to be a Camaro. Yes. Black yes, and so fast. <laughs> fast. Very fast um, car. Uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, the um, my perspective really shifted when I'd seen you taking notes in your Hobonichi and um, you were talking about like I was looking at it and I was like, oh, but that's you're going to run out of room on today. And I just watched you like just flip to a new page and start yep. writing. And that's when it like it dawned on me that it's like that you don't have to be so tightly coupled to this framework. It's nice yeah. to have the framework. And one of the things I really like about the Hobonichi is, A, they give you a lot of room to work with it. It's mm -hmm. organized well in the sense that, um, you know, you have these breakdowns of day-by-day -day pages, you have week-by-week -week pages, you have month-by-month -month pages, and you have all of them, and they're all thin, and they're faintly marked enough that if you want to override that, it's very easy, but also yeah. it's very easy to find your way. Um, and that's really changed, shifted my whole thing about writing in a Hobonichi. It's like, I don't have to feel like I can only write on the day if it's the day that that is, the, you know, that is reflected on whatever, wherever we are. It's like, I know I can yeah. fucking keep note. I can devote a day page to whatever the fuck I want it to be. And if I yes. haven't, you know, and I can go back and use it as a blank page or I can put shit on there to kick forward. And um, anyway, yeah, so. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, they offer you this really excellent structure to work with but then yeah. it's like totally cool if you just blow that structure out of the water yeah so i have um some more interesting uh tidbits about yes. the north american paper sizes 
Do um, tell. So I love this sentence in the Wikipedia article on paper size, uh, <laughs> which says, um, under the common American loose sizes, there's a sentence that says, the origins of the exact dimensions of letter size paper are lost in tradition and not well documented. Perfect. The American Forest and Paper Association argues that the dimension originates from the days of manual papermaking and that the 11-inch length of the page is about a quarter of the average maximum stretch of an experienced vat man's arms. So like basically about as far as a, as the, the person who's manning the vat who's like basically uh – -huh getting the paper out of the wood pulp vat onto the screen <laughs> 11 inches is about as what's manageable by a by a single human great yes yeah that's... i mean it's like it makes sense right like that's how this shit fucking works out right like in the absence of the need to have any other standards you're yeah. just kind of like you know well this like 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 this just makes me think of like so many things like <laughs> like um for example like what if somebody of smaller stature, such as myself, <clears throat> I mean, we are the same size, but mm -hmm. in certain circumstances, I'm perceived as being much smaller than you. I don't, still don't understand why. It's a cultural thing. Anyway, what if I'm like, well, that isn't the right measurement for me. I can just hear like, well, if you were a real man. <laughs> if you were a goddamn it, right. This would work for you. <laughs> work Which for is you. kind of like the whole imperial system of measurement is built off of like, this is three inches is what one person's thumb was when they were famous. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I also I also appreciate um, the Wikipedia article. And this is the kind of like, this is the kind of writing that I really appreciate, which is so mm -hmm. after it makes that statement about, um, and it cites that the Mac, the that the American Force and Paper Association is arguing that this is the reason the dimension is that way, um, and then it immediately follows up follows up with saying, however, this does not explain the width or aspect ratio, right, of the eight, yeah. eight and a half by eleven, like where the eight and a half dimension. Big question mark there. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so uh, I just thought that would be interesting. Um, yeah, I have no idea. Arms idea at this point how our country would ever transition to um metric paper something also of interest that i think um so i we spoke a little bit about the a series format so the a series formats um kind of i think as a as a uh as a u.s citizen or like one of the north american paper standards users um, you can relate to an A4 sheet, which is 8.3 inches by 11.7 inches. So it's very close mm -hmm. to a letter to a letter size. Um, so you can relate to that. Um, I also think the tragedy is like it's hard for us to buy smaller paper sizes here because everybody's just like you just there's just the one paper size. Yeah. Where is in, you know. In other countries, it's like you can buy sheets of A6, which is for, like postcard size. It's like four inches by six inches, roughly. Hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to drop some of the decimal. I'm just going to round up for the sake of like just visualizing. Please know if you're listening to this and you're interested, there are exact measurements that you can go find um, or that, that are listed on the Wikipedia article for ISO yeah. 216. Um, but anyway, the... The thing about the A series is that it's just based on um, – I think it's actually based on the the A2 paper size, which is 16 and a half inches by 23.4 inches um, or roughly you know, 16 by 14 inches, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you can go up to A1, A0, which we talked about, which is very large, 33 inches by uh, 47 inches. Yes. Um, 
the B series is, uh, so in the metric paper, there's three main series. There's an A series, a B series, and a C series. Um, they all maintain the same aspect ratio. So if you got a B2, you could cut it into two B3s and cut that into two B4s, et cetera. Or if you had a C2, you can cut that into two C3s and two C4s. However, they're, um, they're in between each other. So um, what that means is like, let's look at the A4 again, which is the letter size. So you can imagine uh, an, a B4 is a little bit larger. Instead of being eight inches by 11 inches, it's now 10 inches by 14 inches. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> you can, it, this helps, this helps basically cover all of these like other paper sizes that you might okay. need. That's like in between. It's like, well, yeah, but what if I don't want half an A A5, I want like an A5.5 instead of an A6. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the B series comes in. And then the C series actually bridges the gap between the A and the B series. So um, when you get all the way to the C series, um, again, looking at that A4 or that size four um, that in the A series was like a letter size and then it was a little bigger in the B series. In the C series, it's a little bit bigger, but it's smaller than the B series and it's nine inches by 13 inches. So <clears throat> that's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like that they kept like reiterating, like the A's yep. didn't quite cover all the bases. So then they had to do B's and C's. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then they just maintain that aspect ratio, which is really kind of this awesome aspect ratio because now you yeah. can do all these things with it. So scaling. I've, I've found a website called papersizes.org. Oh. Yeah, and I went to it, and it's really neat. Like on the page, <clears throat> I happen to be looking at papersizes.org slash a-paper-sizes.htm, and it you can type, you can select the size from a dropdown, and then it will tell you the unit and dimensions. So like millimeters, dimensions. So like uh, an A4 size mm -hmm. paper, in millimeters is 210 by 297. Right. And like a C size in millimeters, like a C4 is 229 by 324. And you just like drop down and it'll tell you, or you can do inches or different units. Oh, this is great. This is very useful. Yeah. Yeah, papersizes.org, super awesome. So you can do all these conversions and figure out like what size paper do you actually need and what what measurement units are you using do you need yards feet inches pika millimeters pika. <laughs> <laughs> just tell me what you need just we got it right. um and then across the top they have an overview iso standards american sizes other sizes paper weights more information portrait and landscape whiteness and brightness history of paper obsolete sizes oh yeah imperial <laughs> sizes yeah. So before metric British Imperial Paper Sizes, according to papersizes.org, before metrication uh -huh. in the UK used British the UK used British Imperial Paper Sizes, most of which were quickly superseded by the ISO 216A series paper sizes. However, Fool's Cap Folio, to give it its full name, the f most commonly used office writing paper, took longer to disappear. Fool's Cap was still in everyday office use well into the mid-1980s, and the name was often incorrectly used to refer to A-size, A4-size paper. 
Fool's cap is obsolete and can now only be obtained from specialist paper manufacturers such as James Cropper PLC and is not (laughs) available from commercial office supply stockists. Interesting. Yeah. And there's cut paper sizes for writing. Yeah. Like writing paper. Size Albert, Duchess, Duke, Fool's cap quarto, Fool's cap folio, small post octavo, small post quarto, large post octavo and large post quarto which all range from like the albert was four by six inches yeah with an aspect ratio of one to one and a half and like for example large post quarto is 10 by eight inches uh and the aspect ratio is one by 1.25 so like we've point contrary to what we've pointed out with the iso sizes yeah the aspect ratio for each of these different Albert, Duchess, Duke, Fool's Cap, Quarto, whatever, they yeah. are they're not consistent. They're all over the fucking place. Yeah. Yeah, they're all over the place. It's really interesting. So That's, like if you yeah. wanted to like print the same thing over and over again, but you wanted to do the exact same image on a postcard and on a poster, you would have to use some other paper sizes besides well, certainly besides these British Imperial cut paper sizes because these are completely out of, out right. of commission and also they don't make any damn sense (laughs) right right well you wanted to put the the same photo with the same border on a tiny thing and a big thing you would have to change the photo rather than changing the paper (laughs) yeah you'd have to either um and this is where people get i like if you're familiar with buying a tv or something like that where you're trying to determine aspect ratio and you've overheard somebody say but does it have the black bars like Mm. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, because it's filling in that space that you're like the the image that you get from the old TV serial that you're trying to watch has to either cut some off the bottom of the picture or scale it all down to fit on the screen. Right. right. Um, or scale it up, scale it down. Yeah. Anyway. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so the same same problem with paper where you're kind of if you're trying to scale your your printing artifact whatever it is image or text or mm-hmm. combination so right yeah so i really um i think this is fucking awesome uh i had no idea that fool's cap was a referred to this like sort of old so the fool's cap is um the old size standard the fool's cap uh fool's cap folio was like the old letter size kind of mm. it's interesting yeah i'm yeah. seeing here too that <clears throat> japanese industrial standards the japanese industrial standards organization being the authoritative body thereof um or jis for short has defined two paper size series the jisa which is the same as the iso 216a size with uh-huh. minor differences in tolerances of course i bet their tolerances are tighter let's find out okay. um or let's see if we can find out yeah and then the jisb series is not the same as iso 216b with the jisb having an area of 1.5 times the a paper size rather than the root two times the size in iso 216 so they diverge after the a size <clears throat> yeah apparently there are traditional paper sizes um that are still in use by printers in japan and they're like older paper sizes including uh shiro kuban and kiku sizes 
and those have variable aspect ratios as well. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and they basically look like like the Shido Kuban are smaller, 10.39 by 14.92. So that sounds kind of like a legal size. Right, right. Um, but then the Kiku sizes are like more like letter sizes, like 8.94 by 12.05 inches and a smaller one, 5.94 by 8.94 inches. So huh. uh, I guess I... there's also a Shikisen paper size, an AB paper size, and a B40 paper size, all of which have variable aspect I'm, ratios. I'm also not finding the tolerances. Hmm. Um, let me see if I can find that. <clears throat> what do the tolerances refer to exactly? So a tolerance means that... Um, so I'm. let me see if I can... Nope, can't even... This is the thing that ISO stuff bothers me about. So I can't actually see the standard without paying 61 dollars oh come on yeah um okay anyway so let's go i mean i'm sure if i really hunted i could find somebody who had like provided that information but uh what a tolerance means is that if we're so if we're talking about the a4 size which is kind of the closest that we're familiar with um so the a4 size is 210 millimeters by 297 millimeters mm -hmm. and the tolerances according to wikipedia um are as such they're plus or minus 1.5 millimeters for dimensions up to 150 millimeters and they're plus or minus two millimeters for dimensions up to 600 and 600 millimeters so for the a4 it's going to fall in the plus or minus two millimeter range, which mm -hmm. means that if you're producing A4 sheets, they will count as meeting the standard as long as they are within two millimeters of the values on each dimension. So mm -hmm. you could produce sheets that were 298, uh, sorry, 211 by 298 millimeters. Mm-hmm and still consider it an A4, A4 sheet because you're within that tolerance. And my guess is that um, the German, the J, uh, sorry, the Japanese, the JIS has some different standard and I don't know what it, uh, sorry, different tolerance. Um, I don't know what that is. I haven't been able to find, um, oh, Japanese variation, here we go. Oh. Um, oh, but they don't mention this, they don't mention, let's see. Uh, okay, defines two main series of paper. The JIS A series is identical to the ISO A series, but with slightly different tolerances, which is what you said. Um, let me see if I go to that page. Right, and what are those tolerances? Yeah, uh, I don't know, I don't see it. Yeah, I can't find it either. Yeah. Well, we know it's different. Yep, yeah. yeah, we know it's different. I would just be curious to know if it was up or down you know, if it was tighter or looser, like instead of like two millimeters, it was 2.5 or instead of two millimeters, it was 1.5 or something like that. Um, mm. I'd be interested. I mean, typically they, they have like very high manufacturing standards, but that doesn't necessarily mean that in this case, they, the tolerance is within the, is tighter. Um, yeah. There's all kinds, like there's all kinds of reasons why you would adjust the tolerance, right? Um, mm -hmm. Depending on the manufacturing process, depending on the need, they might have identified that it's like, no, we have older traditional paper making mills that we want to allow to keep running. So we're going to create this other standard that allows them to, you know, because they can't meet that spec, 
Or yeah. maybe they're like, we need it to be tighter because we're using the sheets in this other process where we need tighter tolerances. And so we're going to create tighter tolerances because we can't, you know, we can't allow there to be outside of two millimeters or one and a half millimeters or whatever it is. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, paper sizes. Uh, it's, it's really fascinating to me, like, the process of making paper, um, you know, going through the watercolor, like getting into watercolor and like painting and buying paper and um, how the the cotton, the reason that they recommend 100% cotton or high con cotton content is just because the fibers are longer. Uh -huh. So when you're exposing it to a lot of water, it's less likely to... Um, ripple? Not so much ripple as um, de, uh, like pill up and like... Because every each fiber is a lot longer, so when you drag a brush across it, like if you drag a wet brush across printer paper, really quickly you'll start to chew a hole in it. Oh yes, because right. it'll start to um, like basically the sizing and the binder that holds the paper fibers together, the wood pulp fibers together, will start to break down, and because they're so short, they're not mm -hmm. really woven together in any way, so they don't hold together. Whereas watercolor paper will hold together a lot longer with more water before it starts to like wear away as the brush slides across mm -hmm. it. So cool. Yeah, and you get those. It's still the weird thing to me is like it's still cellulose. Like cotton is cellulose. It's just longer fibers is how the right. color plant it's just produces it. Slightly yeah. different variation on the theme of cellulose. Exactly. Yeah, I'd be interested actually to see if um, if ever there's kind of like a like bamboo paper movement where they like because a lot of bamboo products kind of got got shit canned because it turned out they were just using bamboo to create rayon, which is still a cellulose product but it's um chemically like it's heavy chemical process and so it's not nearly as like sort of green friendly as like you know if if you say oh buy some like cotton fiber sheets they're amazing and they are yeah. like i had some i really liked them but the process of creating those is still fairly chemically intensive because you're mm. you're basically converting um you're creating longer fibers from cellulose and your cellulose source doesn't really matter in that sense. You're you're using bamboo for it because that grows rapidly and that's great. But mm. um, you're creating these like chemically longer fibers, and so right. that process of like chemically altering the the cellulose to make these like longer fibers is um, like you do where where you just get them from cotton, but with um, yeah. bamboo you don't get um, you don't get such long fibers. But anyway, I see. Yeah. It's I I remember learning about how um like tissue of any kind like toilet paper or yeah. Kleenex or whatever um the really really soft ones are made with like long mm -hmm. fibers and the only way to get those long fibers is to cut down like really old trees yeah, yes <laughs> like first yeah. growth forest <laughs> yep and I was like oh no so then I kind of like shifted away from trying to find really soft toilet paper and I bought the bamboo stuff instead. Oh, nice. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the actual like outcome of that choice is. I I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm thinking off the cuff here. So like, I don't know if this is, I haven't like done like an extensive amount of research, but I do think, um, you know, as a renewable resource, I think bamboo is a lot easier to replace than, um, than old growth for sure. Yeah. Uh, so if your wood pulp source is bamboo or your cellulose source is bamboo over say like fucking like an old stand of pine somewhere that's like 300 years old um 
better to wipe your ass with that. Now, yeah. the process of creating longer fibers um, to to kind of uh, imitate the texture and feel of like natural fibers such as silk, wool, cotton, linen, etc., is it's a it's like basically like an alkali um ammonia kind of process where Great. you're um which look i mean the thing about that is like that's something that we use in a lot of contexts like in, at an industrial scale so um you know lye is not like the worst uh about the ammonia <laughs> or alkali um i mean it's a lot of it has to do with more like how it's handled, where it's sourced, et cetera. Like that's kind of the, you know, it, it that's the case with making paper or any kind of paper products though. Like that's why it, it doesn't really, um, the fact that there might be an extra step that caught, like uses another chemical. I, I, I haven't done the math. I don't know how it works out. I think that, um, you know, saving old growth and not just fucking like running rickshaw over the world and destroying plants and claiming claiming all agricultural space as like our right to like build it the way we want, um, as opposed to like say leaving some to more natural sort of processes so that we might you know Chesterton's fence right like yeah we don't know what that actually does yet so let's not just fucking cut it all down until we're sure. I was just um, having a conversation about Chesterton's fence the other day. Oh yeah. Yeah, with Damon before he left for his work trip. And I can't remember in what context we were speaking about it. But I was like, this is just like Jester Jen's feds. So uh, if you're listening to this um, and you're not familiar with what Chester Jen's fence is, it, in the short, um, it's basically a logic problem that can be used to justify the need for AB. Uh, no, this is wrong. What the fuck am I <laughs> quoting? It's from, the concept on. that like, if you encounter something and you don't know what it's there for, the assumption is not to assume it's useless and get rid of it. Yeah. So, um, like your first step, your first step should not be, I don't know what this is. I guess we should get rid of it. Yeah. So we, um, we did a, we, I think we talked about it either. We did a whole episode or it's definitely yeah. buried down in our catalog, but I'm pretty sure we did um, a whole episode about it. Yeah. Uh, basically the idea is like, it comes from, uh, it's a quotation from JK Chesterton's 1929 book, the thing in the chapter entitled the drift from domesticity. Now this is not the thing, the horror film. This is the thing like, Hey, this is the thing. Let me tell you about it. Um, right. and it's all about like sort of domestic policy and, uh, things like that mm-hmm. um and and as you said it has to do with reform and it's like don't take something away until you know why it was there in the first place right just because it's in your way now doesn't mean that it's not serving a purpose mm-hmm. um so and yeah that's the same thing with like i think about how we treat natural resources it's like you know just to kind of walk off into the wild and just start cutting shit down and mining resources without some consideration for what purpose it might be serving that we're not immediately available for. It's harder to say there's a reason it's there because natural, natural thing, like there is a reason in a sense, but I don't want to prescribe the idea that it's like some like intellectual being was like, I'm going to put the, you know, the stone mountains here and I'm going to put the river over here and I'm going to put some trees between them. And that's going to create this thing. It's more like, you know, light, like it's just there existing, doing a thing. And before we knock it over, let's make sure we know that it's not doing anything that like might actually matter. Right. So, which probably it is. Probably it is if it was put there. Yeah. So, you know. um, 
or you mean that it exists there because like a lot of these things weren't put there so per se it's well, just like sort it of exists there yeah they evolved if we're talking about life forms or if we're talking about natural natural elements then we're just talking about like the nature of you know weather random chaos but <laughs> anyway <laughs> Weather. uh anyway weather paper chaos. paper pulp um <laughs> paper pulp yes indeed uh yeah so um but it, yeah paper the quality of paper so maybe another thing we could talk about i don't know if i'm prepared to talk about this time but we could maybe do another one on sizing um which i had heard about um at some and point in my life but tell me about that briefly so uh like paper sizing is um is sort of the how do i put it so uh, sizing is in paper you have like a cellulose like you have cellulose fibers that are um ground up trees ground up trees or whatever um in water what have you in water uh and typically the way you make a sheet of paper is that you just kind of loosely soak these in water. They soak up all the water and they make this like sort of pulp, this like wood pulp that's like water and and these fibers. And then you can kind of press it out on a screen to get all the water out and left with a sheet of this, like a, a low thin sheet of a layer of the wood pulp fibers. And eventually when that dries, you end up with a sheet of paper because they kind of stay stuck together. Yeah, Sizing is essentially a glue that you can add to that to have it bond together better and huh. also give that sheet of paper different kinds of properties. Right. Um, and uh, so according to Wikipedia, um, it's a substance that's applied to or incorporated into other materials, especially papers and textiles, to act as a protective filler or glaze. Um, it's used heavily in paper making and textile manufacturing. Um, so there's typically like, you might use sizing as like a preservative. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, if you find that the material you're using to make paper with is particularly like um, prone to uh, like wood rot or some kind of mold or something like that, sure. you might use a sizing that helps preserve it. Um, but this is also where when you read about like acid-free archival paper and things like that, there was a time when they, when you would use sizing that kind of was a little bit acidic, which meant that it helped preserve the paper quality, Oh, but because it's kind of a preservative, right? Like you're creating a different pH environment where like, yeah. bac like bacteria that might enjoy your uh, cellulose are going to be discouraged from setting up shop. Sure. However, the that shifted ph of that of that sizing means that it might also affect things that you put on the paper for instance ink so yes. like you might put a nice black ink mark on there but over a year or two as the sort of acid attacks the molecules in the ink the ink might shift to a different color or might mm -hmm. like become illegible um, <laughs> this, this is what, why tattoos fade the this way is why do. tattoos fade yep exactly because in your body that chemistry is still going on every day right. um, but uh, this is also why um, pencils are very good archival tools if you want to write a mark that's going to last a very long time on a piece of paper uh -huh. because it's generally inert. Um, it doesn't bind with the paper the way ink does. And so uh -huh. what happens is you're just kind of leaving these these graphite particles. Deposits. Deposits, yeah. yeah. Um, it's easier to remove, 
Yep. But if no one's trying to mechanically remove it, you can basically mechanically remove pencil marks from paper with an eraser. If no one's trying to do that, it's going to last the longest. Like old pencil filled journals are the ones that are most legible, um, you know, today. Like if you're kind of looking at the past. Versus ink. Versus ink. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking the other day about how I have a 4H pencil, a 4 hard yes, yeah. um, wood case pencil that I really enjoy using if I'm like taking notes and stuff because I feel like, I don't know, something about it makes me less fatigued over time, like maybe because it stays sharper longer and yeah. I can make much neater um, strokes of the pencil because the... the <clears throat> the radius or the diameter of the lead isn't increasing the longer I use it. Right, right. Um, but I tried writing on the Tomo River paper in the Homo Nietzsche with a 4H pencil and it barely showed up, I think, because there's very, very smooth surface texture to that paper and it just didn't pull enough of the lead off of the pencil. Right, right. Yeah, they're, um, they're definitely uh, very smooth. Like there's not a lot of tooth Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. paper, so um, yeah, it doesn't grip. Yeah, I find um, I have a two B pencil that I really like to write in the Hobonichi with, but I also get what we kind of talked about it before. Yeah, like I get um, the f- the four that really hard pencil lead is really nice um, because it it maintains a point for a really long time, so you can yeah. have that nice crisp point for like. Whereas like so a two B, it's like that point's gone like the minute you touch the paper. As yeah, soon as you start writing, dull. it's gone. Yeah, and then it's messy and like. And then more of it comes off and then you end up with like streaking and dust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 4-H is better. Yeah. Um, and I also like, so I got some some pens from a friend of mine that were like in a little set. And yeah. they're fantastic for writing on the Hobonichi. But I don't know what brand they are. Let me look really quick. Hang on. I'll grab them. I can see them okay. right here. Get them. They're a little set <coughs> um, of gel ink pens, and they're they feature a little cat. And mm-hmm. on the label, it says "Gansia," the cat's story, spelled G-A-N-S-S-I-A, all in caps. So I don't know if that has anything to do with the with the uh, brand or what. Here, what is the brand of these? There's J- there's Chinese writing on them. Mm-hmm. It looks maybe like the brand is Fihao or Ihao, A-I-H-A-O or F-I-H-A-O. I can't really tell. I think it must be an A. A-I-H-A-O, Ihao. Huh. But these are wonderful. They have this like very, very fine um, tip on them, uh-huh. finer than the, than the Le Pens do. Yeah. And the reason I like them is that no matter how hard I press, it doesn't seem to smash the nib in. Which is the problem I have with the Le Pen. Oh, destroy you them could destroy I'm the nibs. A, yeah. Such an aggressive presser of the pen into the paper. And I mm-hmm. can't really help it. Like I try to be conscious of it and I only succeed for a limited amount of time before eventually I stop paying so much attention to how hard I'm pressing with the nib. And if I get really invested in writing the notes that I'm writing or whatever, I'm more u- usually going for like clarity or speed and not for like uh-huh the pressure that i'm pressing the pen into the paper and so i become absent-minded about it and destroy the pen tip <laughs> it's a tragedy it is a tragedy but these ones don't do that and i yeah <clears throat> i like them they're nice they were a gift they work great on hobonichis yeah 
Yeah, that's awesome. It would be interesting if Hoboniji endorsed like specific other brands to work with their brand. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you're super into Hobonichis, you might also love these pens that write very well in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was I was thinking about um I love the Le Pen so much, but I think what I love the most about it is the size of it. Yes. And and the rest of it is fine, but it's not like oh. it's I, I like I like the I like the pen, you know, but I also agree with you, like the the tip is sensitive. Um like they're easy to destroy if you're not careful of like you know, and also maybe it might be nicer if you could get them in a slightly finer size. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, but the problem, of course, is that I don't know how to. There are no other pens that are that slim, hmm. like that that I know yeah. of that are that have that similar quality. <clears throat> they are thinner. So these cat pens that I'm raving about, yeah. these are thicker in the actual plastic barrel that holds the ink. Yes, the exactly. They're yeah, they're a little bit thicker than the pen, but yeah, barely. Right, but that's doesn't matter. Barely is like something about that, that. It's too much. Like that Le Pen sizes. I'm like, this is perfect. Yeah, they are so good, aren't they? God, I love them yeah. so much. They are, they are sort of like the pen of pens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's upsetting. Uh, yeah, I wish. Uh, there's n- nothing's perfect, right? Right. A moment's all you can ever expect from perfection. Yeah, a moment is all you can ever. Ex- yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Like a brand new Le Pen is like a moment of epiphany for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just that moment is amazing, and then, <laughs> yep. And then eventually you get to the bottom of the page and you realize you've pushed the nib all the way in. <laughs> I I mean I don't have I don't have this particular issue like oh, I God, don't I'm jealous. Um, yeah, I uh but I also I mean I have other issues cuz like I um I my it's hard for me to write small enough to fill the Hobonichi yeah. like all the time. Um so that's kind of, you know. Yeah. Which is why I was like if it was a narrower nib mm-hmm. maybe I'll send you some of these cat pens because I bought extra. I hunted them down on the internet after I was gifted okay. a set of them and I bought another set and I'll send it to you. All right. I'm in. Cool. Yeah. Great. Um, how do you feel about classic Crayola magic markers? I um, I like them. I find them so approachable. Yes. I like how... I I like how sort of um, ubiquitous they are. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like 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 a cigarette pack. Yes. I mean, I love like I mean, when I was a kid, obviously getting the like the hundred and twenty or the forty eight pack or whatever instead of the like you know the like blend of twelve colors or whatever you can get yeah. um, was awesome for sure. Like you that went like with the built in crayon sharpener on the oh, base. Oh yes, of it the crayons like, are amazing. Yeah. the crayon sharpener is fantastic, and I love that. Like <clears throat> one of the design elements of the crayon box, however, is that um, when you sharpen them down, you lose them in the box. Yes. Because you yep. can no longer see them. So then you have to have some kind of like an organizational system that goes by yeah. 
like the actual hue of the color so that you know this is the section that the purples are in. So even if I don't see a purple and there's an empty vacant spot, I know that there's a stub of a purple in that spot. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I really love, um, I really love crayons. I really love that you can use them in such unique ways. Like people just think of them as super childish, but wax crayons are great because you can use them to mask parts of paper and then you can paint over it and it looks really cool. Yep. Like all kinds of cool shit. Um, I like their markers too because they're not permanent. Like you wash them out of stuff. Right. Which right. I think is kind of like an ingenious aspect yeah. of them that oftentimes gets just attributed to them being children's toys or whatever. But I'm like, mm -hmm. it's pretty fucking great to have like washable markers. Yeah. No, it's genius. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. We were um, messing around the other day and somebody had a Sharpie in their pocket and was leaning up on a countertop and stepped away and everywhere they had walked back and forth was just a black streak of marker <laughs> going back and forth. <laughs> and uh, everybody kind of panicked because it was like on a white counter surface and a, and cu facing cupboards. And I was like, just get some rubbing alcohol. It'll come right off. It's alcohol ink. And her yeah. was like, oh. <laughs> I know, right? Yes. Water doesn't like, take it off, but alcohol like, will. Right. It was, um, I forget where I was, but it was like I, similar kind of panic um, about that. And then someone's like, oh, you know, you can like use the marker itself if you write over the thing and then rub it off real quick before the solvent goes away and i was oh, like yeah. yeah or you can just use alcohol right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah i uh i recall having like bath crayons did you ever have bath crayons um yes yeah definitely marketed at children yes definitely. yeah i think i think i had like a thing you could draw on in the bath as well with them mm. like there was like a like a basically a dry erase board but sure. not like something like that um yeah. i think maybe my brother had that i think i was a little bit older by the time that showed up um mm. for me to fully appreciate it because my time in the bath was like fuck this i'm getting in and getting out i got i got sh i got important shit to do i'm right. i'm 12 that's right. You don't have time for this dumb bath shit. Right. Bath what? Right. I worked all day to accumulate this dirt. Now now I would appreciate a bath a bath crayons again. Like I'd love fucking some. sitting in a bath all day long. Mm-hmm. This it's the best vehicle. It's it is the best vehicle by far. <laughs> yes. Bath is by far the best vehicle. You yeah, hundred percent. Yep. <clears throat> so did I can't remember if I mentioned on the podcast how I how I have like post traumatic stress reactions to memories of a dream I had, which is very inconvenient in real life. Oh, no. I mean, I, I'm so. Yeah, this is hilarious and like super disruptive. Um, so you'll enjoy this because it's true and it's not happening to you. <laughs> yes. um, so here's what's happening to me. A little while uh -huh. ago, I had a weird nightmare. And there okay. wasn't anything like real sticky about it. Most of the time when I have dreams, they seem very realistic to me. There's sometimes not even an element of like insanity or fantasy to them to indicate that they are a dream. They can be very mundane. But uh -huh. regardless, they usually stick with me like the memories of shit that I've done in real life. They, my right. brain does not distinguish between like memories of dreams and memories of things that happened to me while I was awake. So R sure. My dreams lodge as like shit that happened to me one time. And uh, and I apparently like carry that with me 
in the biological sense, insofar as when I re-experience something from what seems like a dream or experience something that is reminiscent of a dream, it will often pull up the feelings of the dream along with it, right? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Some time ago, I had a dream. I don't even remember when. I don't remember any of the details of the dream. It is like a black box in my memory. Okay. But occasionally, I will have flashbacks to this dream very similarly to flashbacks to trauma episodes in a person's life because the dream was traumatic in some way in ways I can't accurately recall. Right. Um, And so I'm having difficulty encapsulating what happened in the dream and moving on from it. I get it just in snippets every once in a while. So the first time I recognized that this was happening, it hit me completely unaware. I was walking into Rosedale Mall in Minneapolis, Minnesota, basically Uh a suburb of Minneapolis. And I was going to the Lush store to buy like bath shit, right? Speaking of baths, this is what made me think of it. So I was like, ooh, I'm gonna go get some bath stuff. And like Dana had gotten me a bunch of bath stuff for my birthday or like uh, had given me like, go get, here's lush money, go get bath stuff. And I was like, yay. So um, that was great because I had shingles again and you take a lot of baths when you have shingles because it's the only way to feel even remotely human. Uh, So I went and I got a bunch of bath stuff and um, I was walking into the mall after parking the car and I entered the general like mall area um, by going through Macy's and then exiting Macy's into the mall via the storefront. And as I did that, I had a flashback to some nightmare, this nightmare that I had, um, and I had a full-blown panic attack. Like, pouring sweat, sweat through my clothes, my coat, my winter coat was sticking to me. Like, it was terrible, and I couldn't, because I've had panic attacks before, I'm like, just walk it off, walk it off, right? So I keep walking, I get all the way to the Lush store, I buy my stuff, I exit, everything's ultimately fine, but I can't remember what part of the dream this brought up for me. So I'm like stuck, knowing that there's something out there that's like extremely triggering to me mm-hmm. in a post-traumatic, like adrenaline dump, panic-inducing thing, but I can't I can't really remember what, and so I can't avoid it. So anyway, uh, subsequent to that initial time figuring this out, I have gone to the Mall of America to be up, up with my mom and my nephews and go to like right. Legoland. Happened when I went there. Total panic attack. Um, but only at certain parts of the mall. So another more recent time, Damon and I went to meet my mom and my nephews out there, and we were walking and walking and walking and walking, and I was like, no, it's not happening this time. This is amazing. And then we rounded a corner, and something about the view that I experienced of the mall at that point in time totally triggered it, panic attack sweat dump the whole thing crazy so before damon went on this work trip we went to the como conservatory which you have also been to with me yes you remember it it's beautiful we're walking around inside of there everything was fine we were there for like two hours and then we walked towards the bonsai room full-on panic attack all over again i was like damon something about this is in my dream Uh, and that's what happens every time i'm like something about this is in my dream yeah but and it like triggers for a second and i remember like i have like a a, the only way i can describe it accurately is like it's just like a trauma flashback yeah there and then it's gone and i lose it again and i and i so i still don't know so what i do know is that something about the lush store was in this dream something about the mall 
in in general, which yeah. houses the Lush store was in this dream, and also something about the fucking Como Conservatory. So now there are places around the Twin Cities where every time I go, I'm guaranteed to have a panic attack related to a dream I can't remember. How fun is that? <laughs> like some people have panic attacks about things that have actually happened to them. I am also one of those people. But this is really, um, really hard. This is a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's like no the other day I was going to go buy some Lush stuff because I need more shampoo. I ran out of shampoo and I was like, I just yeah. don't feel like having a panic attack today. So I didn't go. <laughs> it's so dumb. Oh, my God. Well, but yeah, I mean, I don't even know. I don't know what the what does one do about I can't that? do anything about it what i need to do is somehow remember the dream so that i can encapsulate it and be like it was a dream not something that happened to me that i need to be prepared for next time right right that's just not yeah it's so weird that i the weird. fucking conservatory what 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 I don't even know. I don't even remember. Now, as I remember, like, walking through the conservatory, if I do it in my mind, there's nothing that I can pick out that, like, makes me feel weird in retrospect. It's so strange. Yeah. Yeah. I told my therapist about this, and she thought it was kind of funny. I mean, it is It is kind of funny, but it's yeah. also, like, you know, I get... Like, it's super funny and ironic, too. Well, no, it's the opposite of ironic, maybe. Sometimes I'm not sure how to use irony because I think people misuse it all the time. But my yeah, point is, be, yeah. what's kind of funny about this is that my actual real life experiences that have been panic inducing have given me all of the tools I need to deal with an otherwise unbelievable, unmanageable dream situation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that like is affecting me so badly now I don't want to leave my house. <laughs> I mean, that's a terrible exaggeration. I just don't want to go to the Lush store anymore. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I get, I get you. Yeah, it's um, weird. Yeah, it is weird. Brains yeah. are weird. Yep. I yeah, I've not had like a lot of dreams lately that I remember. Although I have been dreaming a lot because I do remember like waking up. I think most of my dreams right now are just kind of in that realm of like just utter chaos. It's like mm. um, a common theme in my dreams are like inappropriate emotional like emotions that are yeah. like incorrectly tied to like whatever it is that's mm -hmm. like happening in the dream like it's either like i'm really upset about a good thing that's just happened or i'm like very like like despondent about like something that really should be very engaging or like i don't yeah. know just it's always like it's always just kind of funny to me i'm just like I, how does how did i get here uh, yeah in the dream i mean like you know i'm just right. kind of like wait how how did I get to this point that like this is what's happening? But yeah. Oh, anyway. Weird. Yep. We have weird things. We do have weird things. Yeah. Should we? I I mean, it's been an hour. I definitely am supposed to go back and do work. So I should okay. do that. Um, mm -hmm. It's not very fun. But well, what should we ha what should we do for our little closer? Um, hmm. I don't know. I mean, in this case, like this was a lot about design because we talked about paper sizes, which is, right. I, I'm i still really like, I'm really frustrated that we don't have access to um, sort of 
standard papers or metric paper sizes for lack of a better word. I it's know. not actually metric, but how could we order them? It's hard to. I can't find shit on Amazon the way um like there are things that are A5 and A6. I mean, the the Hobonichi sizes, yeah. the books are those sizes. Yeah, um, right. which is great because I that's fantastic. That's what I want. Yeah. Um but uh I can't like I can't just like order a ream of paper that's yeah. A5 or A yeah, A5, A4. I can't get A4 paper. I wonder if um, there's like if you could uh, Here's what we do, Ned. We yeah. surreptitiously build a relationship with a paper printer who we have stocked ahead of time to ensure that they can facilitate our needs for strangely sized papers from abroad. Okay. <laughs> Once we have befriended this person. Yes. We get them to give us these papers for our birthdays. I see. Gotcha. Yes. So what I I think if I'm interpreting this loosely enough, the idea is that we need to travel to Europe. Yes. Make friends with a paper manufacturer. Uh-huh. Good friends. Close friends. Very close friends. Yes. So close, you don't even know how close they are. Right. Exactly. Right. That kind of close. Yes. The call is coming from inside the house. Close. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Sounds like a good plan. All right. Yeah. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, let us know. Send us an email. Email Whoop. Dana, D-A-N-A at fcbm.io. Um, or go click on other episodes. Whatever. Do whatever. We don't we don't really actually care because we don't uh. do any advertising. We don't make any money. So um do do as you will. That's uh, right. That's it. Go do go make shit. Go forth and do. Go forth and do. <laughs> oh maybe i do want to try i do want to try and visit um we should revisit the uh oh we could draw you made that spreadsheet you could read one of the short stories oh. or long story shorts let me find it hang on here's a new segment we're working on yeah this will be frustrating talking about burying the lead holy shit <laughs> if you made it this far and you're still listening this is the this is the little gem at the end of that uh, so, tangential sandwich we just made. Did I tell you about the time I was stuck in an elevator? No. Well, long story short, eventually that boat sank like a lead balloon and there were no survivors. No shit. Yep. All right. This has been another long story short segment. Um, thank you very much for listening. <laughs> and uh, once again, uh, yeah, this is our podcast. Okay, thanks. Okay. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.